0: you know, we're taking a pause on the deconverting series that we were in in January. Deconverting was our focus on doubts, big questions, why faith is hard, and to help build um, the opportunity to come back to faith if you've uh, walked away. Um, But we're taking a break for February to do outflow. And outflow is where we're going to focus on uh, what comes out of us. You know, all the stuff that's inside you will come out at some point. How does that flow out of you? And where does that go? And so we're, we're looking at that as, as a focus on, on being involved in um, giving, sharing, being light in a dark place. And so we wanted to have kind of a, an idea of what mission looks like when we do it locally, um, kind of regionally, nationally, and internationally. So different focuses in each kind of week, but mostly it's a mindset that the mindset is it's me. It's not somebody else that we're talking about. It's me, just what is my part in that. And so today we have our special guest speaker, the right reverend, Andrew Hamilton.
1: Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, how do I follow that? Um, First of all, right and reverend. I've been called irreverent a lot. Um, Hi, I'm Andrew. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I'm just asking for me to remember that your love never fails and it never gives up on me. Uh, It never gives up on me. And if your love never fails and never gives up on me, it just might not fail for those around us, outside, inside, and within the family. And I just ask that you'd remind us of that today in Jesus' name. First of all, um, are, are Matt Zinga's parents here? Are Matt's parents here? <laughs> so Matt's at MAC and he's playing basketball, volleyball. Yes? Yeah? volleyball okay so my son is away from home for the first time my youngest son and he's playing at gta prep uh, for basketball Um, so pray for him please and for the other kids that are away pray for them Um, we really uh, love to hear that people are holding up our son uh, in prayer it encourages us so much um when we hear that and when my son comes home and and challenges me with a passage of scripture that he's been studying on a podcast because he hasn't been able to be in church because he's traveling to New Hampshire or to Chicago or something like that it's it's really cool to to hear my son's challenge back to me and I I love that so please pray for Matt. Luke chapter 15, it's a passage of Scripture that most of you are aware of, and um, you may be aware of it because of the three stories that are contained within it. Uh, a, a typical sermon would be very difficult to sit there and to go through one of those three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the lost son, um, it would be hard-pressed to go through each one of those in one week. So I've decided that just because you guys are uh, a church plant and you, you, you're, you're growing and you're a new venture within the Alliance, I'm going to give you all three. Okay? And because Super Bowl means nothing to any of you, and the, no, I'm just kidding, it's not that bad. Um, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered to themselves, so they said, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them these three stories. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds them? And when he finds the sheep, he grabs that sheep and he puts it upon his shoulders and he begins to give it a lecture. And he says, why have you run away? Why did you leave? Why did you decide to go out on your own? It was safe at home. You left a good thing. You don't know what it is. Now it's because of my goodness that I'm coming out here risking my life and risking a hundred other sheep at home. Oh, sorry. That's not what it says. I just... (sighs) And you were out there chewing grass. And it was the wrong grass. And I know it's legal now in Canada to go and chew that kind of grass. But you were raised better than that. I'm sorry. I keep jumping. It's these new glasses, I think, that are just giving me a little bit of a difficulty. (laughs) And when the shepherd finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it upon his shoulder and they go home. Together. Then he calls all his friends and neighbors together. And he says to them, rejoice with me. Because I have found my lost sheep. I want to tell you that in the same way. There's great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. than over 99 righteous ones who do not need to repent. What is good news. Seriously, what is good news? Is it the Patriots winning again? Okay, it might be nice news. How about is it the Rams that finally put Brady down? Okay, maybe this is not the right place to be arguing that. There may be a division in a church. What is good news? That you won the lottery? What is good news that you all of a sudden uh, got a new job and, and things seem to be going well for you? What is good news to you? If you were asked to write this down and you were to summarize the best news that you've ever had in your entire life, you might write it something like this. The birth of your son, your daughter. The time when you're, you got together for the first time with your spouse and you saw her or him. Maybe good news was the time that you bought your first home or you managed to uh, get free of some problem that was coming in your life. But I dare to define good news to you as this. It's one word, it's called freedom. Good news is this. John 3:16 says For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Stop full stop That's good news, right? It's good news, right? It is except it's missing one thing if you don't continue to read verse 17 Verse 17 says this, for God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You may think, hey, I live in Stovall Stovall's a pretty nice place. There's a lot of really good things happening over here. The second fastest growing community in all of the province. It's a fairly affluent community. It's got stuff together. Everything's good. There's good news happening in this town. But there are those in this community who are bound up and lost. Some of them don't even know that they're lost. Some of them are lost because of their own decision. They've walked and they've wandered and they've made a decision to leave what maybe you and I would call the path. And there are those that are lost outside that you walk down the street have, that don't even know. And when you walk on that cold night down the street here in this town, there are people that you will pass by that will look like they're all together. But I'll tell you that they're lost. And they're lost because they have no idea where freedom is found. Freedom there is found in Jesus. See, Jesus did not come to point an accusing finger. There's a whole bunch of us that are able to point accusing fingers. The world points accusing fingers. It tells you you're not enough. You don't measure up. You can't fit in. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's a world that's in the process of telling you that you cannot. There's a world that's in the process of not telling the truth to people that without Christ that they are alone. Just before Easter of last year, I got a phone call. It was about five thirty in the morning. The gentleman on the other end of the phone said, "Andrew, would you pray?" I said, "Well, of course. What's going on?" He says, uh, "My grandson's been stabbed in front of his house, and uh, it's real serious. Looks like there's six puncture wounds. I'm sorry, there were seven puncture wounds." And he said, can you pray? We, we need you to pray. We need you to pray now. And I'm thinking, why do you need me to pray? What is about me that I can pray that my prayers are going to be anything more significant than someone else's? He said, pray. He said, Andrew, this is, appears to be a drug deal gone bad. He said, apparently, my grandson owed $20 to someone for a bag of pot and... Uh, He's just been transported to Sunnybrook. Would you pray? Five days later, this young man passed away. Over $20. For $20. You know, to him, freedom was found in a bag. It was found in a little joint. You wrap it up, you roll it, you smoke it, you inhale it. It makes you feel a little bit different. It takes away the care of the day for a moment. He was lost. He was chewing on the wrong grass. And I'm not debating the merits of medical marijuana or anything of that. Please don't misunderstand me. There's a whole bunch of people chewing or looking to chew the wrong type of grass out there, thinking that they're doing the right thing for them. And there's no one willing to go out and find them. Because no one really cares. As long as they keep to themselves, it's fine. But I need to ask you this question. Do you care? Verse 8. Or suppose a woman had ten silver coins. And she loses one of them. Does she not light a lamp? Sweep the house? And search carefully until she finds it. And when she does find it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors together and she says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want you to notice something that this woman did. In fact, she did three things which I find incredibly remarkable. Look here. This coin must have been valuable because it said that she lit a lamp. Lamps cost oil to use. That costs real live money. Oil was not something that was easily come by. It was not easily found. It came at a cost to her. She lit a lamp to find the coin. You'd think that coin must be extraordinarily valuable. And theologians have debated as to what it was that that coin represented to her. Some say that it represented part of her wedding dowry that she would one day give to her husband, that was in a headdress that she wore upon the top of her head. And that if one of those coins were gone, it would suggest possibly that she was maybe less than pure, or less than worthy, or not enough. But at a great cost to her, she lit a lamp to find that which was lost. And it was lost inside her house. Why didn't she just say, hey, listen, it's inside my house. My house belongs to me. I don't need to worry about it. It's here anyway. I'm just going to pretend. Like, I know I've already got it. It's already in the, like, it's already mine. Okay, maybe I can't produce it right now, but I still got it. So it's okay, right? Right? It says that she lit a lamp that suggests that it might have been dark. It suggests that there might have been a need for some more light to be shed on something in order to be able to find it. It suggests that she really wanted to find it, but it goes on and it says, not only did she light a lamp, it says she swept the whole house. I want to let you know something. There are a few things that I really do not like doing. I know that in my garage there are a whole lot of things, there are tools that I sometimes need. I have two boys that like to take my tools and use them and move them all over the place. I say, son, if you've taken my tools, please just put them back. That's all you need to do. Just put them back. So I go to find my wrench. I open up my tool drawer. My wrench is not there. I open up another tool drawer. It's not there. I go in the house and I ask in my kindest voice, where's my wrench? And my son says, I put it back in the garage, Dad. I have a double garage. We lived in that house for now 19 years. Not sure we've ever cleaned it out once. 19 years. And it is possible that that wrench got put back in the garage. It is possible. I'm not going to find it. And most of the time, I'm more likely to go over to the Canadian Tire Store and buy a new wrench because looking for the tool is hopeless. I don't put much value in it. If it's just a little wrench, I probably bought it on sale at one of those Canadian Tire things after Christmas anyway at 95,000% off. And so it's not very valuable. I'll just replace it with something, right? Well, how easy is it for you and me? Here in the church, it's easier if I don't look at you when I say this. I mean, it's easier for you if I don't look at you when I say this. But how much easier is it if one of us gets lost in here, and yet yeah, they're a really important part of the church. Maybe they were a Sunday school teacher, or maybe they were uh, um, a leader, an elder, perhaps, maybe something like that. What? What if... They get lost while they're in here on the inside. Well, it doesn't really matter because, like, there's others that'll come, there's others that'll fill that role, there's others that will come in to take that role. Besides, they were a little bit of a troublemaker, so I'm not going to really look after them because it might be an issue. Or, well, maybe they're lost, maybe they're still inside, but. You know what? It would offend them if I said anything. And if I was to speak to them about something that's going on in their life, it would be way easier to just ignore it and let it happen and let them remain lost. But this woman, because of the great value of the coin, she not only lit a lamp, she not only swept the house, but she made a careful search until she found that which was lost inside. See, the question is, Jesus cares for those that are lost outside. He also cares for those that are lost inside. My question is, do you care? Do you care? There's another story. It would be really easy to take the passage title out of most of our Bibles and say this is the story of the prodigal son. But I'm going to turn it on its end and I would actually dare to challenge you to not think of this story as the story of the prodigal son, but perhaps the story of a prodigal father. You see, the son was actually kind of normal. Tell me if you've ever heard of this happening where a son decided that he knew better than his mom and dad, and he decided he would just kind of pack up his bags and take off on his own. It's a pretty rare story, right? It's never happened before that you've ever heard of? Okay, my sarcasm's not perfect, but uh, reality is, is it's a pretty common story. You know, I remember when I was 17 years of age, my dad and I, we used to clash like this, Now, it's not because my dad's not a great guy, Um, but at 17 and 18 years of age, I really didn't want him to tell me how to live my life. I'd heard how to live. I wasn't really rebellious. Like, I didn't go out and get in any trouble. Uh, That wasn't me, but my my dad could say black and I would say white. And it wasn't even because I didn't know that what he was saying was right. I just wanted to challenge him. I wanted to be able to think my own way. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be able to set the boundaries and the parameters for my own life, my own way. Perhaps maybe I was like that son that went away in Luke chapter 15. And it wasn't that I didn't respect my parents. I just wanted to be able to... Listen, the most tragic song that's ever been written on the planet Earth is, I did it my way. You may really like that song because it's got this really cool melody, but you think about it. There is nothing on the planet Earth that is more destructive to the case of Christ than saying, I did it my way. You had a way to save the world, you had a way to do things, but I chose my way, and my way is better because it's the way I wanted to do it. I exercised my freedom, and it's in that that I want you to hear this passage here. And by the way, prodigal means acting not normal. The son acted normal. Jesus continued, he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them and not long after that, the younger son got all that he had together and he set off for a distant country where there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent every dime, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one even gave him a thing. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out back to my father's house. And I will say to him, you see, the son still had his own plan in mind, right? Remember, he's got a plan. I'll go back and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went back to his father. Let's just stop there for a second. You know, sometimes our wayward sons and daughters... Maybe even those that are lost and don't know who Christ is, they're on their way back and they got a plan. They, they have a way. Perhaps some of you even came back to the church thinking, I know what I'll do. If I just do enough good things, if I attend enough services, if I wash up and I tame down my language a little bit and I just start acting a little bit more like churchy people, Maybe if I do those good things at the end of everything, it'll be okay and it'll be enough food for me too and I'll get into heaven. Coming back on their agenda. See, the father, the prodigal father, has a way of disrupting all of that for us. See, because the scriptures say that, well, his son was still a long way off. The father, what? What is it? Yes. Who said that? Yes. The Father saw Him. Do you see how remarkable that is? I wear glasses to help me see. My kids say it's because I'm an old goat. And that's probably true. But the reality is I need to see clearer to be able to read Scripture. I need to be able to see clearer to be able to count nuts and bolts at work. I I need to be able to see clearer so I don't trip downstairs. I still do that once in a while. I need to be able to see clearer. This father, this older man, it doesn't say how old he is, but work with me here. I got this picture in my head of him being somewhere in and around my age, probably not in the most perfect shape like I am. No, I'm confessing. I'm not in the most perfect shape. (laughs) But he was standing, not sitting, he was standing watch for his son. It doesn't say he happened to be out doing some work and all of a sudden he looked up and, oh, what's that bag of dust coming? Oh, that's my son. No, he was searching, searching for his son. This prodigal father searching for his son. You see, in Jewish culture, he wouldn't be searching for his son. If his son had gotten up and left, he would have washed his hands of his son. He would have had nothing more to do with him. He wouldn't have cared about him. He wouldn't have stood on the side to, to, to seek, to look for him. But what does the scripture say? The scriptures say this. Remember, the son had a plan. I'm going to go back to my father, I'm going to confess, I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven and against you, I'm not worthy to be called your son, just let me be one of your servants and everything will be okay. And so the scripture says, which is remarkable, absolutely according to the son's plan, right? The son came home and the father said, yeah, you're right, you're not worthy, fine, Uh, You you can work in the pig pen, or you can work as one of my hired servants. No, not at all. The father was diligently searching for his son, and when he saw his son, it says that he ran for his son. Once again, in Jewish culture, in history, you would never see a Jewish man my age pick up the hem of his outfit, because it dragged on the ground as being a sign of honor he would not have lifted that up to run after his son, to go into chase after his son. So what happened was he likely exposed his ankles. How dare him. Now, I know we laugh at that, but in Jewish culture, if he was a, a successful man who ran a household successfully, it was a shame for him to do that. But it was his son who was lost. And he raised the edge of his cloak and he ran after his son. And when he ran after his son, what happened? He gave his son the beating of his life. No, he threw his arms around his son and he began to choke him, right? No, he threw his hands and arms around his son and he began to kiss him. And I can only imagine the son. He had a plan. His plan was to just get fed when he got home. His his plan was just to be able to survive, just to be able to live the rest of his life. But his plan was completely thwarted by this father that loved him so incredibly much that he risked his own shame, his own humiliation, his own disgust around the people that knew him as a family leader. He threw his arms around his son. He kissed his son. He embraced his son. And he said, son... Do you know how much I love you? And the son said, Dad, get away from me. I'm dirty. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. You see how the son's agenda changed? Because he was faced with the love of the Father. He was faced with the love of the Father that did not condemn that did not point an accusing finger, reminding him of how bad he was, reminding him of how dirty he was, reminding him of the bad grass that he'd taken and, and the, the stuff that he'd done, the shame that was brought upon him. Oh, wasn't what he did. He loved his son. And he called to his servants and he said, servants, bring my robe and place it upon this son. And I can picture the tears streaming down his face and the tears streaming down the son's face. And he said, kill the fattened cow. We're going to have a celebration. For this son was lost and now he's found. And there was an older brother. The older brother, he never left. He's a good kid, you know. Never really caused any trouble. Never did anything that made anyone feel very uncomfortable. Except for now. Because, uh, the party's going on and the son comes home from the field and he sees a party going on. And he's not going in. Because that's my brother and he hurt me. And he hurt me real bad. And, uh, and an awful lot that I can do to forgive him. Because I bear the scars. It cost me too when he left. I'm the one who had to do double the work. I'm the one who had to do double the work around this place. They left. Why would I welcome them back? It's very awkward for the father. Father. Once again, the father disgraced himself and he did this. The prodigal father left a party that he threw. Again, would never happen in a Jewish family. And he went out and he grabbed that son, the older son, and he said, look, this brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. Father cared. He prodigally cared. There are people right here in Stoville that are lost, Pastor. You're planting a new church, and God will bless that church if you seek after the lost. Because you see, it's not the found that need a savior. They're safe in and amongst us. But there are some 5,000 Chinese and Cantonese, Mandarin-speaking people here in this community. My question is, do you care? Church, church. There's people lost that have been amongst you in the past. There's people that are really valuable that are, have been in here for a long time. And in fact, they, they maybe, I know this might be awkward. Maybe you sit on one side of the church and they sit on the other side and there's something gone. Maybe what's lost is not their salvation or their soul. Maybe what's lost is the fact that you can't have fellowship with them anymore. But does anyone really care? See, I would contend that the third story is the summary of the first two stories. And it's the summary that says this, there is someone who cares. That person is Jesus. Jesus gave his life as a demonstration of what it was to care. Now I could tell you story after story of how God does things when you stand up and actually care enough to find that which is lost. But I'm going to give you this, this one story. My wife and I, we had been attending a church plant about a year and a half ago in our community up in Keswick. Um, We've been really enjoying it there. <laughs> young pastor, a young pastor, he's older than me, so he's really young. Um, he's an awesome guy, but unlike your pastor, Graham, he is not follically challenged. He is follically blessed. He's got hair down to his shoulders, he's got a couple of earrings in each ear. I think he's got a couple of tattoos, but he doesn't like anyone knowing about them. Uh, he rides a bike. And I mean a motorcycle. Um, He knows more words to ACDC songs than he does to the modern hymns and songs that we sing in church. And part of that is just because of the life that he came out of. He isn't a great preacher. He's not really eloquent. The words don't flow easily from his mouth. He's really easily distracted. And yet people are coming to Christ week after week after week after week in that church small little church. They're coming to Christ because he cares. Because someone cared enough to tell him that Jesus loved him. And some people would go to that church and they would take a look at the people that fill the pews on Sunday morning and you'd be amazed at the diversity because there'd be people who will be wearing a, a suit and, and, and it will be, you know, because that's just what they're used to doing all their life and it's nothing disrespectful. They just, it's the way they, they um, uh, wear a suit and some don't and it's just they're different and it's okay, but that's the way they do. And then there's other people who are dressed up in shorts and a t-shirt, and they'll be ripped or dirty, or that they might come in, and they've got this aura of a smell around them, and some dirt on them, and they're not really pretty. And I know you you can excuse the people that are not wearing suits, if you're a suit person, and if you're not a suit person, you can excuse the people that are wearing suits, but both of you have this equal disdain for those ones that kind of smell a little bit different. Or that you know that they're hiding out behind the church before the service starts and they're having their last puff on their cigarette before they come in and you wish that they wouldn't sit in your row because it smells a little bit and you're a little bit offended by that and it's just not the way you would like it to be. And so you make a decision to sit on the other side just because it's more comfortable for you. But there's this one guy who kind of came to know Christ because this crazy messed up biker pastor loved him. And in the past two years, he's been suffering tremendously with A number of different ailments. He's got severe back pain. He's got sciatica. He's got a couple of other things that the doctors have not been able to diagnose. He's been going through an awful lot of pain, but he's been trying to grow. He's been reading scriptures. But every once in a while, he has this problem and he just falls back into the temptation and the sin of the past. And he might just light up a joint just to kind of get through the pain or get through the situation and get through the struggle this past summer, I happened to be up at his house, and one of the things that I do to pay bills in my house is I seal driveways. By the way, if anyone would like your driveway sealed, let me know in the spring. I can help you out. Um, and so I happened to be asked by the person who owns the house, which is not him, if I would seal the driveway... So I was, of course, said, yeah, sure. So I sealed the driveway, did everything, got it all cleaned up, made arrangements. I'd come back later on in the day and, and get paid for it. So I came back later on in the day, and the, uh, the lady who owns the house said, oh, yeah, well, hey, Chris is out back. You want to come see Chris? He's sitting on the back porch. He's not having a really good day. It's one of his bad days. Would you go and see Chris. And I said, sure, I'll come and see Chris. And so I kicked off my driveway ceiling shoes, which were covered in mud and sealer and whatnot. And I walked through the house and went out onto the back porch. And as soon as the, the door opened and Chris saw that it was me, he panicked. Because what he had in front of him was this plate. And on the plate, it had a bunch of, well, grassy-looking stuff. And he was kind of measuring it up to roll it up and to make it into some joints. And he was terribly embarrassed all of a sudden and he took it and he quickly put it underneath the table and hoping that I wouldn't have seen it. And I didn't make any issue that I'd seen it or whatever. We spent some time together. I talked to him. I encouraged him. I reminded him that God had not forgotten about him, that God loved him. My wife and I and our family, at the request of my oldest son, started attending New Market Alliance Church shortly after that because my oldest son decided that he thought that we should be attending church as a family together again. So we did. We started going down there. And <clears throat> I heard about Chris. And I heard about his testimony about how he made a decision to get baptized this past summer. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. And then there was this part of me that said, Chris is still smoking dope. But he's decided to follow Christ. Christ. Chris is kind of a foul mouth sometimes. It's not really perfect. Well, Chris is attending Bible study every single week and he's trying so hard to grow. And he's sick and he's struggling physically and his body's failing him. And it's probably because of this stuff that he's doing. But meanwhile, he's just praying, Lord, I want to be closer to you. I want to know you more. I know I don't have it all together and I know that I'm not perfect, but I am so glad, God, that you... Forgive and that you are thankful or that you are forgiving to me. I'm thankful for that. In the past three weeks, it's been really difficult on Chris. Three weeks ago, his doctor said, I think the stem of a lot of your pain might be a heart issue. Can you come into the hospital? I'd like to do some tests. And 24 hours after the test was run at Pace in Newmarket, they said, Um, we got to get you in for surgery. You've got two completely plugged arteries we got to do something about this right away. So they plan to do a stint. And he comments on Facebook, you know, that, that messenger of goodness and greatness from the Lord. And he said on it, um, he said, for my friends who, who believe in praying, would you pray for me? I'm kind of scared. i got to go in the hospital right now. And I don't like doctors at the best of times. But they gotta, they got to open up two arteries in my heart. And they got to do it right away. So, they're going to do it tomorrow morning. So, they got him in the hospital. They did the surgery. Everything went perfect. Praise the Lord. And Chris and I were talking online and... uh, yeah, he was thankful. He was excited. He said, it's really awkward because I'm playing worship music on my phone inside the room and I got three other people in my room and they can't go anywhere and I'm praying and people are coming in and they're praying for me and it's really kind of cool because these other people and you know what? He says, Andrew, I haven't had a cigarette in about four days. He said, I haven't had any temptation to, to smoke dope or anything like that. I'm just so blessed that God is doing stuff in my life and and, and I'm so thankful for what God's doing in my life. He says, I'm going to be home tomorrow. And I said, Chris, that's awesome. We're praying for you. We love you, man. He gets home that night. The next morning he wakes up and he's got this massive black bruise all over his groin area where they went in to do the, the stint for his heart. And he calls the doctor up and the doctor says, can you get down here right away? Do we need to call 911? And he said, What? So they rush him back down into the hospital. She goes back down into the hospital, just back up on the cardiac ward. Apparently there was a mistake made and something happened. And Chris's life is at the edge. Two nights ago I, I was online and I saw Chris post. And he said this. He said, you know, the old guy in my room that didn't like me last time, we got stuck in the same room again. He said, but this time, he said, why is it that you have hope? Everything's miserable for me and everything should be miserable for you. Why do you have hope? He said, because I was lost and someone cared enough and they found me. And they love me. And now I know that Jesus loves me. And so I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. And you may not be perfect either, but you can too be forgiven. And Chris led that guy to the Lord that day. Who would never go to church in his life. Who was very angry that Chris was being prayed for. And that there were all these ministry people coming in all the time to see him. And Chris posts online... Last night, now I know why God, in His grace, allowed me to go through my suffering. Wait a minute. We have to suffer so that others might come to know Jesus? It might cost us so that others could find a Savior? It might. It might. Do you care? You see, because his love never fails. It never gives up. It never gives up on me. Church. Church. Right here, I know, new venture, church, whatever you want to call it, potato, potato, church. His love never fails. That's why when you guys started coming together and there was stuff that happened that started this whole thing whenever it started, and if you want to remember stuff, you could remember stuff, but why? Isn't it worth it? If one person comes to know Jesus Christ because you cared it was all worth it because he cared for you. So as you partner and plant a church here, can I dare challenge you to care, to give a rip? As you do that walk through town, as you walk on your own with your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandchildren, your parents, and you see someone who doesn't know Jesus, could you just take a moment and ask Father for a heart of compassion to care? Because God hasn't forgotten about Stoville. He hasn't forgotten about you. Maybe you make a really good partnership. Let's pray. Father, I'm so glad that your love doesn't fail and that it never gives up on people like me. Never gives up on people like, like me. And I thank you that in the midst of that, that you saw me in my weak estate lost on a rocky ledge probably chewing the wrong grass. And you came after me. And you risked the 99 to bring yourself glory. So Jesus, bring yourself glory in this church as they seek to serve you in this community, in the place that you have placed them remarkably and uniquely for such a time as this. Bless them as they seek to follow you to the edges of the cliff. In Jesus' name.